Hey Abraham, lovely to have you here. Selamat Hari Raya. Thank you very much. Selamat Hari Raya to you guys. Maaf saya batin. There's a lot of uh, things that I've said that might have uh, transgressed or hurt everyone's feelings. So yeah, this is uh, me asking forgiveness from the bottom of my heart. To cover for one whole year, right? Just yeah, you carry forward and then you just reset the whole thing next year. <laughs> okay. Um, the Prime Minister said that there is a need to balance between lives and livelihoods in the implementation of this MCO 3.0. Hence the decision to not impose a total lockdown such as... Uh, you know the first version mm. there's been a lot of backlash from this decision why are our fellow malaysians not happy with this decision what what do you think they were actually expecting let's be frank yeah i think uh, anything that the government's going to introduce is going to have some sort of back- backlash and because of that there was really no expectations at this point set by the people it is more of pandemic lethargy and uh, they need somebody to blame so folks are just tired the issue here is not just about the firefighting i e to have some form of restriction over another you know MCO 1.0 3.0 Or as we've seen very recently, MCO 3.0.1. That's not solving the problem. The real problem is always on vaccinations. Whether or not we need to go for mass one dose vaccination for the entire 32 million population of Malaysia, or the current trajectory of everybody getting two doses, either Pfizer, Sinovac, or AstraZeneca, that should be the solution. And we should not be muddled with this whole, you know, MCO, non-MCO, stricter MCO, tighter MCO, because. No matter what, that's not solving the real core issue here. Yeah, because I was going to ask you that, you know, still allowing for movement instead of the stricter lockdowns, you know, um, was this the best option? I mean, do you think it is the best option considering we understand that vaccines are the way to go? It's not the best option. In fact, it's a very strange option if you think about it. We know this uh, pandemic has two things. Number one, the vector is human. Humans are the one that is going to be spreading it. Number two, it's spread via aerosol. But what we've seen for from the uh, interview that uh, the Prime Minister gave on Sunday evening, uh, May 23rd, he was talking about the impact to the economy. Uh, and he's saying that there's a reason why we can't do an MCO 1.0 style. It's because uh, the impact to the economy will be severe. But there's a lot of economists out there who argue that there is a direct correlation between economic prosperity with the management of public health. One cannot exist if the other is faltering. And right now, the management of public health is faltering. We've seen cases rising uh, around 7,000 daily cases per day. If you take it per 1,000 or per 1 million, we're really high, Uh, meaning that a lot of Malaysians in general are getting infected compared with other countries. If the people are sick, who is to run the economy? So if your concern is about economic prosperity, uh, then it should be dealing with public health concerns first. So it's not the other way around. The hotel and tourism ministry will require more assistance from the government if it's to survive the prolonged COVID-19 pandemic. Without such assistance, hotels will have no other option but to close down. Ibrahim, what assistance has been granted to the hotel and tourism industry thus far? Um, We have seen the government roll out a lot of stimulus packages when it comes to the hotel and tourism industry. One of them is called Permercasa. There's a lot of goodies involved, including exemption of tourism tax and services tax for hotel accommodation up until December 31st of this year. There's also entertainment duty exemption for entrance fees into uh, entertainment premises like theme parks, stage performances, all the other stuff. However, the detail of this type of uh, exemption is unclear and we can assume that it's probably going to run um, in perpetuity until otherwise being told. But 
but it's not just about the assistance that's going to be granted to the hotel and tourism industry thus far. It's also the kind of sector that needs the assistance that the government wants to give. The government doesn't run on uh, an infinite number of resources. They only have so much money to be dished out. So the question is why uh, should the hotel and tourism industry get more per capita compared to other sectors like healthcare, like education? And I think the hotel and tourism industry sector might not have a strong enough argument to debate against other sectors in getting more money, particularly uh, at a time when the government doesn't have much to begin with. Yeah, because ultimately the hotel and tourism industry is not so much a need. It's a, it's an a industry which is based on wants and holidays and vacations generally, right? That's right. But there is also an economic uh, multiplier effect here because when you go to travel, um, let's say from here to Langkawi, you don't just magically appear at Langkawi. You drive, so when you drive, there's a fuel, petrol, there's a tolls, there's a, um, rest stops along the way, there's ferry rides, there, there's, uh, you know, that short-term stay that you have to stay in Kedah for one night, and then you cross over to the ferry. Each and every single one that you spend is a multiplier effect. Mm. So yes, while it is based on wants and needs, uh, it's also helping the economy at large. However, it's a time of crisis. This is war. I mean, the Palestinians have war with Israel, we have war with the pandemic. And the war here is that when there comes a time when resources are scant, you have to redirect your resources to what is needed. Um, and even if having a tourism industry is really good for the economy, it can't be done. It's impossible to be done. And right now, we're trying to keep this very struggling sector uh, on its very last legs. Uh, the question is, should we see a natural die off to this uh, industry? Uh, or should we try to revive it anyhow? Because I'm sure, I don't have the numbers, but I'm sure there's thousands, if not tens of thousands of people that are affected uh, in the hotel and tourism industry. Yep. There's a lot of people in this industry. Uh, but the question is, do they have a strong enough argument to get more resources? That's what I'm, I'm trying to uh, create here. The idea that some other sectors need more money compared to this. And I think these are the sectors, particularly frontline workers, education, they have a stronger argument in getting more money from uh, the people. Police will call several witnesses to record their statements in connection with the COVID-19 Sinovac vaccine offer made in Penang or yeah. to Penang, sorry. Um, what are the main concerns that led to the health ministry rejecting the 2 million vials of donated COVID-19 vaccines for Penang? I think the main concern uh, is that uh, the government doesn't want uh, fake vaccines uh, yeah. to be given to the people. The secondary concern, however, is that this is not going to go through a central processing unit which is, as we know, is JKJAV. Um, and if you don't go through a central processing unit, through a central committee with the same set of scientists that is going to be evaluating it, the same set of approvals, and standards, I, I, right. in this case, uh, NPRA, you're going to get different results based on the different locations that the Malaysians are in. Mm. So in this sense, let's say the Penang government did receive 2 million vials of donated COVID-19 vaccines. Are these truly efficacious vaccines? Something that can be really good for the people? We don't know because the Central Committee, JKJFE, doesn't have any data or to, to this. But I think the tertiary concern is more of politics. Yeah. Um, according to the law, 
though. Is it illegal for a private party to donate vaccines to a state? As far as I know, there is no law preventing private parties to donate vaccines to a state. But that doesn't mean that one can donate vaccines to a state because right now we're still under emergency and the emergency ordinance does have wide-ranging powers. Mm. And sometimes one idea can be extrapolated from an existing emergency ordinance saying that we have to maintain public order and public safety. And from that particular line, you can extrapolate that by saying this include does not donate, does not uh, yep, yep. Uh, you know, endanger people or right. donating vaccines. So that kind of legalist speaking is going to be problematic. And remember, this emergency, it's very clear in the emergency ordinance that we can't sue our own government during this period of time, i.e. the government can do anything they want and we have no legal recourse against it. That much is clear. It's, it's as felt clear as day in the emergency ordinance mm-hmm. back in um, when it was gazetted back a few months ago. So if the government says it's illegal for this individual to do the vaccine, so any of the individuals, people like me, I mean, I have, you know, five million vaccines behind uh, my house right now and I'm ready to... You do? To my, uh, yeah, yeah. And I'm uh, happy to uh, give it to my uh, neighbors and friends and yeah. families. And right, right, Indonesians. Yeah. I might think twice uh, on doing it because I can get uh, punished severely right. for doing so. Yeah. So I think the best way to go through this is still through the uh, JKJV or the coordinating minister. He's very open, he's very transparent. You can reach out to him. Um, He responds publicly on Instagram, on Twitter. So I'm not too sure accessibility is not a problem for him. So I'm not too sure why people don't go straight to him if people want to donate millions of vaccines. I think the issue here is that they want to go direct to the state government for other purposes other than the public good. The Malaysian Armed Forces is capable of setting up two more field hospitals to accommodate the increasing number of COVID-19 patients. Um, the minister said this was based on the existing number of MAF healthcare personnel. The MAF can set up more field hospitals but will require an additional 30 doctors and 100 paramedics. With the number of new cases uh, and exhausted frontliners, what is the likelihood of this being implemented in states with the uh, higher number of cases like in Slango? Uh, it's very high in terms of likelihood on this being implemented in states. Again, if we talk about us being under emergency, uh, there has to be some form of imagery of soldiers on the ground hustling or shuffling people about. That's the imagery that we think of when we talk about an emergency. Yet until now, the only soldiers that we see are checkpoints as yes. we exit toll houses. That's not an emergency, right? Emergency means everything is uh, up in the air and uh, all systems are on deck. And if we include uh, the Malaysian Armed Forces Hospital or Medical Corps, it means that we need to use them immediately. So the question now is, should we use, however, the MAF Medical Corps for treating people with COVID or do we use these fresh resources that are yet to be tapped to deliver vaccinations. Mm. Right now, we are managing, barely managing 80,000 vaccinations or doses per day. Uh, And the government says that in the next few weeks, it can be ramped up to 160,000 doses per day. 160,000 doses is a lot of uh, resources that's going to be used, right? Mm. Imagine the number of nurses, doctors that is holding the syringe, taking the vial out, measuring it, using the proper, uh, what do you call this, dosage, not 0.1 mil, but 0.5 mil for AstraZeneca, for instance, you know, putting it into your arm, sending the individual out for, uh, you know, observation for 15 minutes, and then kicking the individual out of the center, everything done in pronto, right? And then you multiply this with 160,000 every day, every day. 
right? Come rain or shine, Saturday, Sunday, Vesak day, Raya, whatever. Imagine the kind of resources you need. Um, do they have enough? Right now, uh, on the MySejahtera app, uh, you can register for being a volunteer. But volunteers as such, you don't know head or tails how to manage the situation. I mean, I can register as a volunteer. I don't know what to do. But yeah. I, can, I, I mean, I, I have the energy to help out. I don't know how. But the doctors from the Malaysian Armed Forces, they know exactly how to help. Mm. So do we use them for that kind of activity Instead. rather than treating mm. the patients mm. uh, that is sick right now or many of them are dying. The UN Security Council on Saturday called for full adherence to the ceasefire in the conflict between Israel and Palestine um, in the Gaza Strip in its first statement since violence erupted on May 10th. Security Council members also stressed the immediate need for humanitarian assistance to the Palestinian civilian population, particularly in Gaza. What is the current situation there? I think the current situation is very dire for the Palestinians. Um, at point of ceasefire, over 230 Palestinians are confirmed dead following the uh, strikes from Israel. Uh, in Israel itself, uh, confirmed dead attack uh, following the attacks by Hamas. Um, but the Israeli airstrike has damaged Gaza's infrastructure, including the only lab for processing coronavirus tests. They have also uh, destroyed uh, the uh, uh, water plant and now they face shortages of clean water and clean medicine. Um, under international treaties, it's impossible for us to see what Israel is doing is not crime or war crimes. Uh, because when you deprive a certain population of access to clean water, access to medicine, access to processes to provide uh, coronavirus tests, and subsequently access to vaccinations, uh, this is war crime. And I think uh, the fact that uh, the US um, using their veto powers in the Security Council vetoed a motion that was uh, presented forth by uh, China and supported by Russia, it really points a very strange view right now that countries like China and Russia are fighting for the human rights of Gaza people or Palestinians and the US is uh, the person or the individual that is uh, prohibiting this. It's a very strange mm. dynamic to see. Um, and because of this, one can easily argue that the US has lost all their moral uh, leadership role in the world. But are we ready to give this moral leadership role to countries like China and Russia? I'm not too sure if I want to say yes to this. Mm. So we have to look at each other and see what can we do um, as smaller nations like Malaysia do we coalesce with other smaller nations in this region? Do we move to a bigger grouping like a Muslim country grouping? Uh, do we want to pressure uh, the UN Security Council or just go straight to the General Assembly? There's so many things that can be done on the international front in resolving this crisis. But the problem is that the pessimism is very high. This is a problem that was not created yesterday. It was not a problem that was created 10 years ago. And it was not a problem that was created even 50 years ago. This has been going on. And every five years or six years or seven years, we read these kind of news. It's a problem that a lot of people are now arguing can never be resolved.